Thank you, Betsy. Be looking at those verses in a moment. Mark Anthony was known as the silver-throated orator of Rome. He was a brilliant statesman, magnificent in battle. He was courageous and a very strong man. Mark Anthony had all the qualities for becoming the ruler of the worlds. But he had the very vulnerable and fatal flaw of moral weakness. On one occasion, Mark's personal tutor shouted in his face, Oh, Marcus, oh, Marcus, oh, colossal child, able to conquer the world, but unable to resist temptation. Mark Anthony would agree with the one who said, I can resist anything but temptation. You know the feeling. And we can name sports celebrities who mastered their game but could not master temptation. We can think of Hollywood stars and other celebrities. We can think of evangelists and Christian leaders whose moral weakness resulted in their spiritual collapse. You may be gifted with a sharp mind. You may have been resilient enough to overcome any obstacles in life to get you where you are today. You may be strong as an ox physically. You may have achieved many of your dreams and be considered in the eyes of others a great success. You've accomplished much in your field of expertise. You may give the impression to others that you could conquer the world. But listen. If you have never come to terms with your moral weakness, sooner or later you will regret it. We have been making our way through sampling the promises of God. And as we come to our final two weeks in this series, I would like to pause for a moment to remind you of the very first week that kicked off our study. The passage was 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. You can turn there if you want, or you can just listen. But keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 10. But I want to read 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Listen as I read. This kicked off our series. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, his glory and his goodness, through knowledge of him, he has given us his, what? Very great and precious promises. Why? What's the purpose of God giving us his very great and precious promises? The verse continues, so that... Through them, through those precious promises, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Do you see the power of God's promises? They have the power to incite us to daring acts of righteousness on one hand, and they have the power to enable us to overcome temptation. They have the power to help us live right, but they also have the power to help us avoid doing what we know we shouldn't do. It's that second part that is our subject for this morning. 
My purpose this morning is to deal specifically with how to find help in time of temptation. I believe it was Oscar Wilde who said, the best way to deal with temptation is to yield to it. Really? Is that the only option? I mean, is it possible for us to be triumphant over temptation? There's a bumper sticker that said, lead me not into temptation. I'm perfectly capable of finding it on my own. (laughs) It's true. We all know the way into temptation, but do we know the way out? I mean, there's no greater sinking feeling than being trapped in our situation with no way out. You may recall the account of the sunken Russian submarine back in August of the year 2000. Trapped in the rear of the sunken submarine on the Arctic seabed, facing all but certain death with 22 companions, the commander on the Russian submarine scribbled a message that said, all personnel from compartments 6, 7, and 8 moved to the ninth. There are 23 of us here. None of us can get out. Apparently, 23 of the sub's 118 crewmen survived the sinking, at least for a while. Norwegian divers who opened that escape hatch nine days after the disaster found that the airlock was filled with water, and that led everyone to conclude and to abandon all efforts to find anyone alive and to turn its attention to recovering the dead. And yet there are 23 still alive. But the ninth compartment might have remained dry for weeks, and it wasn't until 10 weeks later that the world finally heard the captain's message after Russian divers recovered his remains from the, the husk of the submarine and the note was found stuffed in his pockets. The note indicated that two or three crewmen tried to flee the submarine through a specially built escape hatch in the ninth compartment where the survivors were gathered. Russian submarines are equipped with suits designed to protect sailors during such underwater escapes, yet the attempt failed. And the question after that was, how long were those 23 crewmen alive, unable to escape? No one knows. There had been much discussion, you might remember, about the botching of rescue efforts. Well, our passage today speaks to finding the escape hatch when temptation strikes. And there's no greater sinking feeling than being trapped in our situation with no way out, right? But unlike the crewmen, if God put an escape hatch in place, our attempt to go through it won't fail. Death, defeat is not inevitable. There is a way out. There is a way out. When temptation calls... God will rescue us. An escape hatch is given. It can be open. The question is, will we reach for it and find our way out? That brings us to 1 Corinthians 10. And before we look at the way of escape, before we look at the way of escape, I want us to briefly look at the warning by example. Paul gives a warning by example, and then he's going to give the way of escape that really makes up my outline for this morning. We first see the warning by example. Warning by example. 
1 Corinthians chapter 10, follow along as I read verse 11. Paul begins by saying, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of ages has come. The question is, what are the, these things to which Paul is referring right there at the beginning of verse 11? Well, in context, Paul has been referring back to the time of Israel's wanderings to show that self-indulgence was the cause of, of nations' failure to enter into the promised land. And God has seen fit to include their failure as an example and warning to the church in Corinth. He's seen, he, he wants to include it in his scripture to, as a warning and example for us. And the warning is obvious. If so many Israelites failed to reach their goal, despite God's presence day in and day out, and God's provisions daily, if so many Israelites failed to reach their goal despite all of that God was doing for them and God's presence showing up, we too should not presume that we will stand in times of temptation. The warning is against any self-confidence. That's what he points out in, in, in verse 12. So if you think, verse 12, so if you think you're standing firm, what? Be careful that you don't fall. Overconfidence coupled with negligence leads to sad consequences. Overconfidence coupled with negligence leads to sad consequences. The story was told of a stuntman, Bobby Leach, back in the early 1900s, who uh, went over the Niagara Falls in a specially designed steel drum, and he lived to tell about it. And although he suffered some minor injuries, he survived because he recognized the tremendous dangers involved in such a feat. He also had done everything he could to protect himself from harm. He covered all his bases. Several years later, however, after that incident, while walking down the street in New Zealand, Bobby Leach slipped on what was either an orange peel or a banana peel. He fell and badly fractured his leg. He was taken to the hospital. He had an infection. Later, he died from complications from that fall. <laughs> and we go, can you believe that? Niagara Falls, banana peel. He received a greater injury walking down the street than he sustained in going over Niagara. He was not prepared for danger in what he assumed to be a safe situation. What's the point? We are in grave danger when we are so sure of ourselves that we become careless about the little things that may pose a threat. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Overconfidence coupled with negligence leads to sad consequences. And so Paul warns, stay alert. Yes, stay alert even, maybe especially to the little things. We're warned by example. Like the Titanic that sealed her own fate because she failed to listen to repeated warnings of imminent danger, are we if we keep steaming ahead, assuming we are unsinkable? The question is, has there been a message sent your way that you might be heading for an iceberg? 
Don't be smug thinking it can never happen to you. Don't assume you are above falling as others have fallen. The one who thinks he stands is thinking wrongly, for he is in the greater danger of falling. What are the little things, loved ones, you have been neglecting? What are the little things that are trying to nibble away at your purity? What are the little things that are trying to nibble away at your honesty or some other area of your life? Identify those very subtle, vulnerable areas where you may be tempted. Maybe share those with a trusted friend. Deal with it at that level. It's a lot harder later on. It was Benjamin Franklin who said, it's easier to suppress the first desire than to satisfy all that follow it. And like the Titanic, which was shipwrecked long before it actually hit the iceberg, are we, if we ignore the warning wire sent our way, don't ignore the warnings. Don't ignore the warnings. Not only does Paul give us a warning by example, he gives a good dose of encouragement. He assures us that while falling was what happened so to many in the time of the wilderness, it need not be the case. So after giving us a warning by example, Paul now points to a way of escape. A way of escape. And that brings us to our all-familiar verse. Probably many of you could quote it in this room. Verse 13, it says, No temptation has seized you, Accept what is common to man. And God is faithful. He would not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now, it's important for us to realize that that word temptation and the word for temptation is used in the Bible is used in a good sense as well as in a bad sense. It's used in the good sense of to test. Often it's translated test. Same word, test. It's used in the bad sense of temptation to evil. Tests, temptations are two sides of the same coin. For example, in the book of James chapter 1, James chapter 1 speaks to both uses of that word. In the opening verses, James addresses the subject of trials and tests that come into our lives. And in James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials or tests of many kinds. James then moves to the other side of that coin in speaking to the nature of temptation. In James 1.13, he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Now, I don't want to get into too much of what James is saying here since we'll be looking at the book of James in a few weeks. But one thing worth noting that ties into our passage this morning is that from James, that in the context, it's speaking of tests and trials, he also discusses temptation. You see, life is full of tests. And every test enhances the probability of a temptation. Tests come from God. Tests are allowed by God. Temptation comes from within. In other words... Once the external test becomes the solicitation of the heart, it turns into a temptation. 
Now, let me give you one example, and I think you'll be able to translate that into a, into a test you may be encountering right now or will sometime in the future. I want you to see this connection between test and temptation, very important for what we're talking about this morning. Suppose that you experience the test, the test of personal disappointment. You had some expectation, and, and it wasn't met, and you're disappointed, and you're dealing with that. You either work through that to the place of healthy acceptance or you begin inwardly to feel animosity or bitterness or retaliation or or start to take matters into your own hands. The, The test on the outside now goes inside. It begins to solicit evil and it becomes a temptation. Now, you can insert the test you're facing right now might be a test of illness, might be the test of failure, might be the test of thwarted plans, might be the test of of mistreatment or or the test of a financial setback. Whatever the test is, and, and there are many that make up life, they provide you with an opportunity to do wrong. God sends tests, but not temptations. God's tests are never a solicitation to evil. On the contrary, the verse we're looking at in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has seized you. Or we could translate, no temptation has overtaken you. See, it wants to control you. It wants to dominate you. It wants to overtake you. But the promise of that verse is absolutely thrilling. No temptation is so overpowering that you become a victim of it. When the test becomes a temptation and the temptation becomes a sin, it is not that we are victims. It is that we made bad choices. And notice that it says that the temptations are called common to man. Common to man. They are common temptations that can potentially trip us up. Paul is is not speaking of what we might think of as the grand temptations, whatever that might be, maybe of of denying Christ when, when threatened with some torture. He's not thinking of those grand ones. Those aren't the common to mankind. The common to mankind of temptations are those that you and I will face today and, and tomorrow and the next day. It's winning or losing those type of temptations, the common to man type, that determine how we will fare when the so called biggies show up. And loved ones, we do not have to lose those common to man temptations. We don't. The verse continues to say why we don't have to lose lose, um, to those. It says that God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Do you see what this is saying? God's faithfulness is evident when we are vulnerable to temptation. I cannot overstate the significance of God's faithfulness to this matter of temptation. Because isn't that the core issue? When it comes to temptation, isn't it a matter of trusting God? Am I going to trust God here? Am I going to believe what God says in his word? Am I or am I not? As Eve in the garden doubted God's faithfulness, when we surrender to temptation, it's usually due to doubt of God's goodness or doubt of God's faithfulness. The Israelites in the wilderness doubted God's faithfulness. They doubted God was with them. They doubted that God could sustain them. They doubted that God chose Moses as their leader. And so they complained and they grumbled. See, temptation thrives 
on dissatisfaction. And they tested God by demanding he provide for them in a certain way. And they tried God's patience. You never want to do that. Now this verse gets real practical. The verse tells us that there is a way out. There is a way out. In the Greek, it literally means an exit. An exit. There's always an escape hatch. There's always a parachute. There's always a way out. There's always a path to victory. Every temptation which comes into our lives comes with it its way out. Did you get that? Every temptation which comes into our lives comes with it its way out. And God's promise to us is he will provide a way out when tempted. The passage says he wants to help us. He lovingly wants to protect me from from that emotional, physical, relational, spiritual pain that can come when we indulge ourselves in temptation. He wants to spare me that. He wants us to avoid those shortcuts that inevitably lead us down down dead-end roads. You see, when it comes to temptation, God's in your corner. God does help. Every temptation which comes into our lives comes with it. It's way out. And God's promise to us, and the sampling of promises, God's promise to us is that he will provide a way out when tempted. The real question is, how? How do we find that way of escape when temptation tries to sink us? How do we access the the escape hatch? How? What does it look like? I mean, if God is faithful and he will provide an exit, where then does it break down? Well, a part of that answer is going to come when we look at the book of James. But I want to share with you this morning, in a very practical way, four of the best escapes I know of. Four of the best escapes I know of. What we need to be looking for. Matter of fact, they're all captured. Each one of these are captured by the word look. Look. What are we looking for? Are we looking for the escape hatch? Four of the best escapes I know of. First of all, very obvious one, look up. Look up. It's so obvious we miss it. Well, what do we mean by this? Well, I mean is is we must admit our own weakness to resist the temptation ourselves and then to allow God to fill us with his Holy Spirit, to fill us with his power and strength. The longer we stubbornly resist the obvious, the deeper we're going to sink. If we ought to reach out for the escape hatch and cling to God's strength, we must first let go of our clutches to self-sufficiency and say, I can handle this. I can handle this. I have it under control. I can handle this. No, you can't. No, I can't. I am way over my head. Tell myself that. Because if I think I can handle it, I'm falling. We sang it earlier. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Every minute, I need you. Are we forming the habit of time with the Lord? Are we practicing the regular exercise of self-feeding and prayer, meditation on him, worship of him, praise of him, thankfulness to him? 
We're developing a lifestyle of looking up to God. It's one of the best escapes there is. Way of escape begins with looking up. Looking up to the God, the promise keeper, trusting in God's faithfulness. Because when temptation hits, look for the promises. Fighting temptation means trusting promises over perception. Follow the promises of truth, not the appetites of error. The way of escape is by believing that all of God's promises are true. It's trusting in God's promises that will give us the power to avoid doing what we know we shouldn't do. Keep those promises near you. That's why we're going through this series. Hide them in your heart so that you will not sin against him. Psalm 119. Look up. Secondly, look past. Look past. We're going to find the way out. We better look up. Secondly, we better look past. What am I saying? Well, John Piper expressed it this way. He says, sin gets its power by persuading me to believe that I will be happier if I follow it. The power of all temptation is the prospect that it will make me happier. You see, temptations are promises. Consider your recent temptation. Didn't that temptation promise you something? Oh, if you just give in to this right now and complain and, and maybe cut down another believer, the promise is you'll, be, you'll feel a little better about yourself. Maybe others will see you in better light because you just slammed someone else. That's the promise. Oh, just go this way and, and go check out this, this site here on, on the Internet. It's gonna, oh, he's going to be so happy if you go there. You're not getting fulfilled at home. Look there. Promise. Promise, promise. Can it deliver? We need to let our mind run past the pleasure of satisfying the impulse. Look past that to the pain and guilt and consequences. I believe one of AA's slogans is something to the effect of thinking through or thinking past the drink. Think past the drink. You want to take it, think past it. Consequences, guilt, pain, think past it. Look past the pleasure for sin's going to cost you more than you want to pay. It will. Man and his wife were shopping at the mall and a beautiful woman walked by. And the husband's eyes followed her, checking her as she walked by. Without looking up from the item she was examining, his wife asked, was it worth the trouble you were in? <laughs> Not a bad question to ask when it comes to temptation, seriously. Will it be worth the trouble we will be in? Will it be worth the pain it's going to cause? Let's look past the pleasure of satisfying the impulse of the trouble it's going to bring in our lives. Let me ask you this. Would you rather resist that moment of pleasure now or spend the next several days, weeks, months, or years managing the consequences? Which? Sin can't deliver on what it promises. God can. God's escape is a promise of trust. We need to look up. We need to look past. Thirdly, we need to look away. We need to look away. We need to avoid compromising situations. It was Mark Twain who said, it is better to stay out than get out. Good advice. 
A boy confessed to his dad, I've been having bad thoughts. The father asked, and are you entertaining those thoughts? No, the boy replied, but they're entertaining me. (laughs) Yeah. Dallas Willard nails it when he says, in a twisted sense, we enjoy temptation. We like to turn it over in our minds and think about how it would be if we gave in. And once that happens, our feet are on the ice. Look away by staying away from that which is poisonous to your soul. Look away by not playing with that which can hurt you. One missionary offered this counsel. He said, rattlesnakes are fairly common where I live. He said, I encounter a rattlesnake almost every summer. It's a frightening experience to see the rattlesnake coiled, looking at you ready to strike. He's lightning quick and accurate. He says, I have a two-point program for rattlesnakes, shun and avoid. You don't need much insight to figure out what to do with something as dangerous as an old diamondback rattler. You don't mess around. Are you messing around? with that that which can potentially destroy you? Do you need a two-point program of shun and avoid? Look away, get away, get out of there. Can you identify an area that you need to look away from right now? Because the way we become victorious in temptation is to nip the temptation in the bud. Look up, look past, look away, and fourthly, look out. Look out. This is where we often lose the battle, right here. The hardest part about fighting the temptation is that we often don't feel like we want an escape in that moment. True? True. The truth is is that when it comes to temptation, we find ourselves not wanting to discourage it completely. You might have heard about the guy who was trying to lose weight, but he came to the office with a box of donuts. His co-workers asked him why he bought the donuts if he's trying to lose weight. And he answered, well, as I came to the corner where the donut shop was, I asked God that if he wanted me to buy some donuts to have a parking space available right in front of the donut shop. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, on the eighth time around the block, there it was. <laughs> so true. Ah, I laugh, but it's convicting. Let's go uh, one more. Here we go. Help me resist, Lord. Help me resist. Don't let me fall in this temptation. Going around the block one more time. That man was not looking for the way out, but rather for the way in. God has not promised to get us out of trouble if we carelessly wander into it. We're not to test the Lord, that's what the Israelites did, by putting ourselves into temptation and presume on God to bail us out. Where were you, Lord? You said, verse Corinthians 10. We need to know those troubled spots in our lives. We need to be alert to the times we are most vulnerable to temptation. The way of escape should come early rather than late. Don't wait for the heat of the passion to say, I need to find the way out. Be realistic. Look out for those areas of weakness. Look out for the enemy's wishes to pick you off. See, the temptation is wicked, but the word here is that it's not unbearable. The promise is that we will be able to stand up in the temptation, receive the way of escape by not yielding to it. Remember the old chorus? Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. 
Each victory will help you, some other to win. Fight manfully onward, dark passions subdue. Look ever to Jesus. He'll carry you through. He'll not. The enemy doesn't want us to find the escape hatch. He wants us to believe we're already defeated and sunk for good. Don't buy it. You can end your relationship to sin at any point. Look out for the lies and myths and believe that every temptation which comes into our lives, that it also comes with it a way out. God never puts us in a situation which we have no choice but to fail or to fall. God doesn't leave us powerless in the battle. We need to accept our responsibility and appropriate God's promises because he provides the way out. It's up to us to see it, look for it, and then walk in it. We don't have to be a prisoner to sin. Stories told the life of Renaud III, a 14th century duke in what is now Belgium. Grossly overweight, Renald was commonly called by his Latin name, Crassus, which means fat. After a violent quarrel, Renald's younger brother, Edward, led a successful revolt against him. And his brother captured Renald, but did not kill him. Instead, what he did to his brother is he built a room around Renald in the castle, and he promised him he could regain his title and property as soon as he was able to leave the room. Now, this would not have been difficult for most people since the room had several windows and a door of near normal size, and none was locked or barred. The problem was Renald's size. To regain his freedom, he would have to lose weight so then he could fit through one of those windows and fit through maybe the door. But his brother knew Renald's, and each day he sent a variety of delicious foods. Nice brother. Instead of dieting his way out of prison, Renald grew fatter. When Duke Edward was accused of cruelty, he had a ready answer. He said, my brother's not a prisoner. He may leave whenever he so wills. Renald stayed in that room for 10 years and wasn't released until after Edward died in battle. And by then, his health was so ruined, he died within a year, prisoner of his own appetite. Prisoner of his own appetite. What have you been feeding on? Is it helping you find the way out or the way in? You don't have to be imprisoned to your own appetite. There is a better way. Every temptation which comes into our lives comes with it its way out. God provides the way out. He promises you that. But are you looking for it? Am I taking it? That's the question. Let's pray. Lord God, help us to acknowledge on a daily basis, moment-by-moment basis, how much we need you, how much we need your power at work in us, how much we need your strength, how much we need your Holy Spirit to enable us to resist and in cases where necessary to flee, to get ourselves out of it. 
However it may apply to our lives this morning, Lord, I pray that we would see it, we would take it to heart, we would implement it in our lives this week. May we not mess around with it. May we not think we're strong enough in ourselves to overcome it. But to realize it's only as we humble ourselves before you will you exalt us. It's only as we acknowledge how weak we are that we have access to your power. Show us that way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.